Ultra. Back to Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze and celebrate the Spider-Man movies, one story molding minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Zach Luna. And today we're talking about Minute 3 of Spider-Man 2. Yes. Which starts with wrapping up the, the credit for visual effects and uh, ends with the directed by Sam Raimi credit. Ooh, very nice. It's... I'm astonished that <laughs> these credits kind of land perfectly at the end of our our third episode here. It's uh, it's it's beautiful actually. Like if you, if you watch to this minute, if if it, it, if like the music comes up and I'm like, man, I'm ready to watch this movie, and then it stops because it's like I'm so pumped for Spider-Man too now. I really like this movie. God, uh, and the credits the credits are really great at like getting you in that space. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, which is oh, definitely. Yeah, I guess what uh, going tell us, for. tell us, tell us about the credits. Yeah, sure. So, like I alluded to yesterday, uh, these credits that we have here are designed by Kyle Cooper, um, but mostly executed on the strength of the Alex Ross paintings. These were not the original version of the credits that they went that they uh, were originally going to have for this movie. Yeah, that's a good way to phrase things. Zach said originally twice. Um, <laughs> at any rate, this was a unique. Um, sort of situation so like we alluded to earlier in the week uh the process of making spider-man 2 was a bit strange in terms of this sort of truncated pre-production schedule they had Mm -hmm. where um they kind of uh, some heavy lifting had already been done by the first movie and they wanted to get on track to make the second one as quickly as possible so a lot of things had to be started work on before they had a finished script like the opening credit sequence. Um, Kyle Cooper designed these, and he's like one of those title sequence rock stars. He did these. He did the titles for Seven. Uh, that was his first thing he did that totally blew up. He's done like 150 credits on major productions. He founded Imaginary Forces, which is a huge design firm that did like Mad Men's title sequences and Marvel's Runaway. Kyle personally, Marvel's Runaways. Kyle personally did all the American Horror Story titles. He's just like. A, a big deal guy and he's very ambitious with what he does and so he needs a long lead time so because he had to start work fairly early on it they couldn't have a final script for him to work off of just ideas um and he started working on it about a year before the film came out and originally in this version of the uh, opening credits we would start with a recap of the first film, but it would only be five seconds long. And the way that Kyle Cooper designed that was that he actually went and got um, vintage, actual vintage comic book pages that mirrored the events of the first film. Like he went through the early Steve Ditko stuff and, uh, did I do that right this time? Ditko? 
Ditko. Ditko. Yeah. Yeah, Ditko. Ditko. The early Steve Ditko stuff and um, Amazing Fantasy and uh, Amazing Spider-Man, the initial issues that were cribbed from to make the shape of the first film, he got those original comic panels in vintage pages, scanned them, and then arranged them so that the physical paper created the montage that told the story arc of Spider-Man 1. And then from there, it would be a focus on a fight between Spider-Man and Dr. Octopus. Because all that he kind of knew going in was, we're going to be focusing on these main story beats, and the main villain is going to be Dr. Octopus. And they really wanted to highlight Doc Ock as a figure. So what he proposed, which (laughs) I think is kind of nuts, and I would love to see it, was a stop-motion animation credits sequence of Spider-Man fighting Doc Ock. So that after the first five seconds of the credits that caught you up on the first film... The entire rest of the credits where you saw people's, you know, production names and cast members' uh, titles going by would be stop-motion Spider-Man fighting stop-motion Dr. Octopus in these, like, handmade models that he built for him, that he built himself in his, uh, in his home and was shooting all these, like, weird, interesting test footages. So, Are, are there the... images of these? Uh... No! And that's what, like, I'm so frustrated about. Like, he, there's interviews where he talks about, I've been working on this cool project for Spider-Man 2 for, you know, 10 months now, and here's what I'm doing. And there's no, like, actual images from it, which is, like, is crazy. It's so crazy. And he was so dedicated to it to the point that he, <laughs> he literally caught his own Black Widow spiders to photograph for movement reference to figure out like how Spider-Man should move if he's going to like relate it to spiders. And he bred black widows in his basement, in his home. And he he bought a pet octopus and had, and for people that know about, you know, aquariums and, 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 uh, you know, marine life and what, like it is very hard. You have to have a legit tank to house an octopus. It has to be like properly calibrated and stuff. And so he had, he just wanted to be able to have, a reference of a live octopus to study how their tentacles move and how they make decisions and whatnot for the sake of all of these little models he had built of a version of Spider-Man and Doc Ock fighting. And apparently in a meeting with the producers and Raimi, they realized like 10 or so months into this stuff that when they were seeing the bits of stop motion he had and the um, credit montage, like the first movie montage with the, the comic panels, they realized that the idea for the comic book montage was actually a stronger concept for the entire thing. That they could build off of the idea of the comic panels becoming these static representations of the previous film. And let's not even show Doc Ock. Like, let's save that for the film itself. Um, And credit to them as (laughs) artists and collaborators that they, like, realized they were too far in the one direction and could correct in in this this simpler approach but yeah they basically uh, thousands and thousands of dollars went into this elaborate um sequence that we won't ever see any of but maybe they had to go too far in the opposite direction to realize it wasn't quite the right approach and find this simpler option i I just can't imagine (laughs) only spending five seconds on the previously on montage like five seconds what i can't even comprehend what that would look like yeah, it would probably be shorter than the uh, the flipbook thing that he that he also designed the Marvel flipbook thing that we see in front of every single Marvel Studios movie God. ever. Um, yeah, it would probably be about that long, but just 
with the previous film. Um, oh, it's so weird. It's and very then, weird. And then uh, the idea of doing that and like, I wonder, did it still look like, cause you know, now we're, we're looking back at these movies and we're, we're 10, we're 10 years beyond <laughs> the, the, the conclusion of this trilogy. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we know that all three movies have a similar tone, like the, 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 um, credit sequences right right the opening yeah yeah they all they all look like part of a whole Mm -hmm. it was this part of that or did was it a completely different tone from the first one right yeah i just don't it it sounds so out of left field um i mean an interesting idea certainly uh you know to have (laughs) i'm sure something that like initially when he presented it to sam that he might be like oh that's cool yeah like do some weird practical puppet stuff why not um but it doesn't really fit with the tone of the series as a whole um and i don't know it's i would love to see again it's one of those like alternate get get our alternate universe machine up where we can watch uh (laughs) the the way this actually happened the the Uh, spider-man 2 Starring Jake Gyllenhaal with the stop motion the, the, opening and, by Kyle Cooper, which yeah. I mean, it's it could seems you imagine, like a... could you imagine if <laughs> if you had Jake Gyllenhaal as this character and then they had Alex Ross come in and do these pieces and they're like, okay, so we want you to do these pieces, only we want you to draw Jake, not Toby. <laughs> so pretend like Jake was in the first movie and draw yeah, him. Draw draw him yeah yeah Ooh, but maybe maybe that might have been part of the motivation oh in that when they told kyle to make a version of the opening credits that recaps the first film they might have been under the assumption that toby couldn't come back because he was injured so use the panels from the comics so we don't have to make it super clear that like it won't be so obvious in the likeness that that's not that guy like, or something. See, see Spider-Man's bigger than Tobey Maguire. Right, yeah. <laughs> this is Spider-Man. It doesn't matter. Um, but a, th- a thing I do like about the Kyle Cooper that he talks about occasionally is that, um, I mean, he's an intense guy, which, of course, you would have to be if you were the person who came up with the title sequences for Seven and American Horror Story and all that. Um, and that a thing he really cares about with opening title sequences uh, the reason he named both of his design firms that he founded after lines from the prologue of Henry V and Shakespeare is that he firmly believes that a title sequence um, can function as a prologue for the film. Mm-hmm. That it is uh, literally the first like storytelling approach that you have uh, when, you're, when your movie opens. It's what lets you transition from the world outside of the theater into the world of the film. And he calls it he calls out Shakespeare specifically because his prologues were very literally a person coming out and talking directly to the audience. Uh, the one most people know is like Romeo and Juliet, like somebody saying two houses in fair Verona, where we lay our scene very deliberately telling you what the world is going to be like, and then bringing you into that world. And um, I think this approach insofar as just have the entire title sequence be a reflection of the first movie is a smart way to do it because if you do that storytelling here, you don't have to do it elsewhere in the film. If we just let the title sequences play out as a, here's what the previous film was and here's the tone once again, then we don't have to have any like moments in the film itself where we're like, hey, remember last year when X happened? Like you just kind of free all that up and you just jump right into your film. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Well, man, what could have been? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds crazy. I, I just, it, it's, I don't know. We're, have we, maybe we'll have something for the 15th anniversary of Spider-Man 2. Maybe they'll put it on there or something. Yeah, maybe. Um, that would yeah. be cool. Uh, just as it goes uh uh, bonus feature or whatever. Otherwise, uh, maybe we've got uh, you know a few more years until the twentieth or twenty fifth anniversary. Before we get, something <laughs> yeah. like that. get our uh, fingers crossed and see yeah. at some point. Um, um, so the, our, our first uh, our first credit in this is for um, uh, editor Bob Morowski, mm. um, who co edited the first Spider Man with Arthur Coburn. And, oh, that's right. And if you remember. Last season, we talked a lot about how it really seemed like one person edited the beginning of the movie and another person edited the end because we yeah. were very critical of the editing toward the end of the movie and very, very positive uh, about the editing at the beginning of the movie. Um, <laughs> and uh, it turns out uh, I think we weren't wrong. And it looks like Arthur Coburn was the weak link there uh, because Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> he edited um, uh, Bob Morowski edited this solo and um i think this is edited pretty much flawlessly it's it's real good it's (laughs) really good editing and then we have um bob went on after doing this he did spider-man 3 and then he went on to uh also edit drag me to hell and oz the great and powerful but he actually won an oscar for his editing in the hurt locker um, whoa okay with his wife chris innes Wow. And uh, so they they actually husband and wife editing duo and they won an Oscar for the Hurt Locker, which is wow, yeah, pretty That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so a uh, guy's got chops, I guess you could say. He's, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he got he got started. Um, he was assistant editor on Dark Man, but he was lead editor on Hard Target, uh, which oh, I believe wow. is John Woo's American debut, right? Uh huh. American. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. English yeah. English speaking debut, whatever. Uh, whatever <laughs> you call that. And then he edited uh, Army of Darkness that same year. Wow. So wow. That's uh that's where he got started. And then he did some TV stuff and um some uh, direct to video stuff and things like that. Uh and then eventually worked his way into the gift and Spider-Man and so on and so forth. And he's yeah. uh just recently, he edited Kong Skull Island. Oh, uh, wow. Last yeah. year. Uh, yeah. Another really well-edited movie, actually. I think uh, a lot of people probably didn't pay that close attention to the editing, but I was because I was blown away by the editing in that movie. Oh, nice. Um, it's really, really good. Uh, Maybe we'll do a, uh, a weekend bugle on that at some point. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then his next upcoming thing is, <laughs> he, is uh, he is the editor on the other side of the wind, which oh. which is uh, Orson Welles' final film, that, whoa! That they just dug up and uh, ran a Kickstarter, I think, for or an Indiegogo yeah. or something uh, to finish it up so that it can be released. So he's actually he's editing that uh, with without a director, essentially, because you know Orson wow. Welles, yeah, live, yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. that'll be fascinating to see how he puts that together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's got some chops, this guy. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Really good, really good, uh, really good editor. Uh, Mm. Also, uh, with some chops, we have uh, Mr. Bill Pope. Oh, um, boy. Cinematographer Bill Pope, director of photography Bill Pope. Uh, Bill Pope is, for my money, the 
one of the greatest cinematographers of all time and i think the greatest working cinematographer right now um, sure it's like uh, it, it's he's my favorite for sure mm-hmm. um and then you know as far as like best it's like between bill pope and deacons probably deacons yeah right yeah Roger deacons. yeah yep <laughs> bill pope still hasn't won an oscar somehow Just um saying yeah uh, I, I have a feeling we're gonna we're gonna be singing bill pope's praises a lot in this film because it is gorgeously shot yes um, yes i mean absolutely the he has an eye for framing for color for lighting and the mm-hmm. way all of those things interact with each other one of the things that he does really well he loves adding depth to scenes to shots mm. uh and so he usually finds a way to light the background uh foreground and middle ground differently in different ah. ways or stage things in different ways and mm-hmm. that way he adds depth to the shots uh and we you know there's a lot of examples that, that i'm sure that we'll call out as we're going along in the movie that he does that with but he's mm. he's very good with that yeah and, and he's, he's always been very good with that and he's great at handling all different types of films mm-hmm. like it's it kind of blows my mind that like the same cinematographer shot clueless and the matrix um, yeah like I mean, and he killed it on both of them. Yeah, well, and you uh-huh. can uh, you can watch Clueless, and that movie. I, I mean, I th- I honestly believe the reason that it works as well as it does and became sort of this. I I, I hesitate to use the word timeless classic because it's not exactly timeless. It's very <laughs> much classic. Yeah, it's very much <laughs> 1995. Um, yeah. But, but uh, you know, I think the reason that it's such a, a classic is because of his cinematography. I think, you know, mm-hmm. you take it for granted because of the type of movie it is. But uh, there are shots in that movie that are uh, striking. Um, yeah. There's, yeah. There's a shot where uh, Brittany Murphy sees herself after the makeover for the first time. And she's yeah. standing in like a room full of mirrors. And it's just mm-hmm. – needlessly beautiful like <laughs> we it doesn't it has no reason to be as gorgeous as it is and it's just it's amazing and like yeah you know the shot where the fountain turns on when she realizes that she realizes she's in love with josh and yeah um, yep. the scene where she's left out front of that really famous liquor store in la uh in the valley it's, oh yeah overt cinema you know yeah, like this right yeah, yeah yeah it's it's cool to see so yeah he's um, and the other he's amazing oh, God, he's just He's really good. And in um the book that I mean, I know last season we referenced the Mark Cotavaz behind the scenes book a lot. Um uh, you know, in detail production details here and there. Probably not as much this season because the behind the scenes book is mostly just a art department book. Um, but you know, when it's appropriate we we will uh, reference stuff from that. But one thing that struck me in reading it in preparation for this season was that like every art department talked about how Bill Pope was one of their like initial contacts on the on the film and like a key collaborator early on who would set up meetings very early on even with like the 2d conceptual artists to ask how they were lighting their imaginary spaces in their paintings just so he could adjust about you know to be thinking months in advance about how to paint with light on set he was even one of the people working with the costume department early on asking about redesigning the spider-man suit um which there was some some discussion about whether they would even change it at all or to how much they should change it. Um, but with discussing after discussing with Raimi how he wanted to change the way this movie would be lit and shot, how he wanted to use either this like um, 
either a colder daytime light or a uh, a magic hour, you know, golden light uh, as much as possible. One of those two lighting scenarios. He figured the suit itself could stand to have more saturated color in it. Um, and so he insisted early on on like lots and lots of camera tests, which that might sound like overmanagement, but it's a godsend for the people building these things. Cause I, like I've seen projects when I was working in, uh, in costuming about, uh, you know, or heard horror stories about not enough camera tests or being ordered early on because, you know, they're expensive to pay for. And when you're cutting corners, people don't want to spend that money up front. Uh, but what you learn from a camera test is uh, testing out how things look on the day, how they behave with light, how the different types of cameras will react with them. And it gives you an opportunity to problem solve for much bigger issues that could happen out later later on. Um, mm-hmm. And that he insisted on that. And it might be one of those things where if there is a like wrestle between the money people and the director about like, well, where can we cut some money here? Like, do we need all of these camera tests for the suit? Uh, to have like the guy who shot the Matrix be like, no, we definitely need these, probably helped in terms of like getting that to go. But yeah, I mean, even in terms of like the, uh, they would test out the gray paints for the sets on different materials and then shoot plates of them in camera tests that Bill Pope wanted in different conditions. So they would have these reference plates because a slightly warmer gray or a more purpley gray would affect the lighting and vice versa. And how things would read in camera at the end. So that, you know, as much money, especially with how, how chaotic and, you know, crazy they knew this sort of big, this big project would be with this, like, truncated timeline. If they could take the time to solve problems early on, it would only help them in the end. And I think a lot of that, like, leadership and in terms of things actually shaking out okay in the end came, came down to Bill Pope coming on board. And, yeah. um yeah, he's just great. He's most well known for his work with the Wachowskis, Sam Raimi, and Edgar Wright. Uh, <laughs> those are the people that he mostly works with. Um, Not a bad CV. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he did. Uh, we we talked about him doing Clueless. Uh, pl- mm-hmm. Prior to that, weird one, but like one that has always stuck in my mind as a movie from my childhood. Blank check. Oh, uh, wow. Which I, I can draw a straight line between Blank Check and Clueless. That makes a lot yeah, of sense to me. Yeah. Um, he also did Fire in the Sky, which is huh. one of the most terrifying alien um, abduction movies ever. It it gave me uh-huh. so many nightmares as a child, and now I know why. <laughs> yeah. um, because Bill Pope is amazing and gave me nightmares. So he did uh, The Matrix, The Matrix Reloaded, and Revolutions. Uh, he also did Enter the Matrix, the video game. So oh, Bill, Bill Pope, not above video games, as it turns Dang, out. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So like the only reason that he was not the DP on Spider-Man was because he was trapped in Matrix Hell. Um, oh, sure. Shooting three Matrix projects back to back to back. <laughs> uh, so he was just trapped there. That's the only reason he didn't also DP Spider-Man. Uh, Got it. The first yeah. Spider-Man. He went on to do, of course, uh, Spider-Man 3. But he also does like a sort of playful experimental stuff every once in a mm. while. Where he's just like, I wonder what it would be like to DP something like this. Like Team America World Police. <laughs> he was the DP of that movie. Uh, yeah. He was the DP of The Spirit, which say what you will about The Spirit. It's a gorgeous looking movie. 
It sure is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he did Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which was the first time that he collaborated with Edgar Wright. He did Men in Black 3, which is a great looking movie. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Um, then, of course, The World's End. And then here we go back to Experimental again. He did The Jungle Book. Oh, the uh, the new one. Yeah, the, yeah, uh... the new one. Oh, oh. Yeah. 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 Crazy. Uh, the, uh, uh, what is what is the? <laughs> Favreau. Favreau, thank John you. Favreau. Yeah, yeah. Johnny Favs. Um, <laughs> Jay Favs, my yeah. boy. Uh... <laughs> Johnny Favs, Jungle Book. Um, it doesn't himself. say it doesn't it doesn't look like he's doing Lion King unless Lion King isn't technically shooting yet. Um, yeah, I'm not yeah. I'm not sure what the process there is, but it's not on his CV yet. So I don't Got know it. if he's doing Lion King, uh, but he did Baby Driver last year, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is um, I mean, yeah, incredible. Yeah. It's uh, a good look, good looking film. Good yeah. looking film. And then upcoming, uh, I was planning on skipping this movie because I don't like Robert Rodriguez, but he. Uh, he was the cinematographer for Alita Battle Angel. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, which is gonna okay. make me go see that now. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. what can you do? And what then do? Uh, later this year, early next year, it doesn't quite have a release date yet. He's doing the kid who would be king, which is uh, the second film from writer director Joe Cornish, writer director of Attack the Block. Oh, God, I love I love Attack the Block. I know. What is there of, any tangential of, connection to Attack the Block that we could use to I, do an episode about? I don't know. Uh, what, but <laughs> really, what it. kind of monster doesn't love Attack the Block? God, um, it's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. Uh, it's one of those perfect gems of a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah. yeah, so those are his upcoming movies, Kid Who Would Be King and, and Alita Battle Angel. Awesome. So, uh, Bill I'll Pope. I'll be there. I'll be there for Bill Pope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, Bill Pope, our creative rock for these minutes. Um, another creative rock, I guess. Uh, I don't know if we could call him that for this. Is uh, the other big uh, credit that happens here, which is Alvin Sargent. Uh, yeah. So now we get into this. Yeah, I so guess we been, should. I mean, we've, we've been, been alluding like, to it all week. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's here talk we go. about how they wrote this movie. Yeah. Okay. So so as you'll as you'll see, there are there's a story credit. Um, and we have two credited writers. For those of you who don't know how writing credits are uh, credited, writing partners, you and your writing partner have an ampersand between your name, which is the little the little and symbol. Mm-hmm. When you when you write a draft and then someone else writes a draft, the word and goes between your names. So that's like how you differ- out. right spelled okay. out. So that's how you differentiate those things. So now the credits for Spider Man Two are. A story by Alfred Go, Ampersand, Miles Miller. Okay. And Michael Chabon. <laughs> Screenplay by Alvin Sargent. Now, okay. What is probably <laughs> like, what, how do you go? What? How does that happen? Well, strap in. Um, <laughs> so uh, the first thing that happened is um, immediate, immediately upon finishing. Spider-Man. Sony was like, okay, we have to make a sequel. So Sony hires Alfred Goh and Miles Miller to write the first draft of Spider-Man 2. It should also be noted that there is no shooting draft. So last season, I was referencing two things. I was referencing uh, Kep's 
David Kep's original draft and then mm-hmm. uh, was looking at the shooting draft that had like three writers on it, I think. Right, right. We were referencing both of those things throughout the season. This season, there is no shooting draft. The reasons for which we'll get to in a second. But there was mm-hmm. no there was no shooting draft. So I'm not going to be able to reference uh, that at all. Um, there is a draft, uh, but more on that in a second. So <laughs> Alfred, Alfred Go and Miles Miller are the uh, most notably known as the creators of Smallville. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which they, awesome. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. great. Why not? Um, and they uh, they actually uh, created Smallville in uh, 2001. So it would have been oh. uh, they would have they would have I, I believe Smallville wouldn't have been on television yet when they got the job to write Spider-Man two. So they wrote Spider-Man two right before Smallville got picked up. But after they shot the pilot, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 Uh, So yeah. So they were like in a weird spot in their, uh, their career. Uh, They had (laughs) sort of, um, they sort of jumped on, jumped into uh, writing film. I imagine uh, with some sort of spec script that I'm not uh, aware of. But yeah. uh, the first writing credit they have is Lethal Weapon 4, uh, <laughs> okay. which they yeah. wrote together. And then later they wrote Shanghai Noon and Shanghai Nights. Nice. Um, they were also uh, two of the writers on Herbie Fully Loaded. Later on, they tried to create a – they were going to make an Aquaman show, TV show. Oh, with, that's uh, right. Yeah, with yeah. Justin Hartley from This Is Us. That's um, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who would go on to play uh, Oliver Queen, Green Arrow on Smallville. So he made it, yeah. yeah. And uh, and then currently, currently they are uh, they are the co-creators and showrunners of Into the Badlands on AMC. Nice. Yeah. So that's it's what they've got. Career. They've got mm-hmm. that's that's their whole sort of uh, career. But at this point, they had just done uh, Shanghai Noon and mm-hmm. had just sold Smallville, and were waiting to see if the pilot was going to get picked up. Got it. So that's where they were at their career at this point. So having done a Superman show, they were hired to write Spider-Man 2. They wrote a script. Uh, Sam knew that he wanted to do an adaptation of Amazing Spider-Man number 50, Spider-Man No More. And he knew he wanted Dr. Octopus. So Alfred Goh and Miles Miller came in and they wrote the script. And they uh, wrote a version of the movie that featured Dr. Octopus and the Lizard. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So both both characters. Uh, the idea here being that Dr. Otto Octavius and Dr. Kirk Connors were colleagues who ah, right. were uh, involved in a simultaneous accident that they each blame each other for <laughs> uh, and sort of go to war against each other rather than Spider-Man. And Spider-Man sort of gets in the middle of Got their fight to like be like, okay. hey, you two knuckleheads, knock it off, is basically <laughs> the idea of it. Um, Got it. You know, it, it's it's obviously it would be more dramatic than that, than you two knuckleheads, knock it off. But, <laughs> Though but, I would watch that. <laughs> but, but yeah, but the difference, the difference between the two movies was that they weren't trying to get Spider-Man until like act three. It was really more about these two guys – fighting each other and Spider-Man's the only mm-hmm. one who can get between them. Um, yeah. So that yeah. was, that's sort of like the original idea. Now there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's an extra little detail to this script. Oh boy. Um, now the Dr. Octopus and the lizard thing was meant to mirror Peter and Harry's arc in this story. 
of okay. uh, two, you know, previous friends, uh, not on uh, the best of terms. Hey, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, okay, it was supposed to be a mirroring sort of thing there. Now the other the other element of this that was going to be in this was actually Black Cat, um, was what? also going to be in the film. Yeah, so Black Cat was also going to be in the film, and the idea being that <laughs> if this is a story about Peter deciding once and for all whether like whether or not he's because it's a it, it's supposed to be about him struggling with his Peter Parker life and his Spider Man life. And the idea of him believing that he needs to choose one, that he can't do both. He needs to either be Spider-Man or be Peter Parker because he's kind of sucking up both. Yeah. The idea. Yeah. So in this version of the story, Black Cat was introduced as a sort of love interest for Spider-Man as opposed to Mary Jane as a love interest for Peter. And I see. And it was it was the idea of him having to choose. They were representing his choice of these two lives. Got it. Yeah. Um, Which, okay. I yeah. can see. I, I can, I can grok all of those decisions. Sure. Um, it all, it yeah. all, it definitely feels like a first draft and, but not mm-hmm. in a bad way. Like it just feels like, okay, this is a first draft. If they had stayed on, they would have been able to hone this stuff down and really make it work by their, you know, sixth draft or however many before production started. Right. Right. However, obviously I mentioned this before, <laughs> Smallville got picked up and, uh-huh. immediately upon Smallville getting picked up, they were like, I, I mean, we can, we're going to, we got to make TV showrunner money that we're, we're going to go do that now. Yeah. Um, which for those <laughs> of you who don't know. make a thousand episodes of yeah, a TV show. Right. Show, By... Showrunner money is good money. Um, yeah. Yeah. Real good money. So they were like, we need to go do that. So they left their notes with David Kep, and they sort of like kept in conversations with David Kep, and they just sort of like all wrote together. Um, but David Kep opted to not take a credit at all. Um, Amazing. Yeah. David Kep again, who, uh, was one of the final screenwriters on the previous film. Right. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that came in, uh, people liked, everybody liked parts of it, but they didn't love all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they decided to bring in a, a, a fresh faced writer who uh, had just won um, the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction uh, for his novel, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, about uh, a superhero. It was a novel about about a superhero. And that was uh, Michael Chabon. Um, Now, Michael Chabon, he he hadn't really had any experience being a screenwriter. He got the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction, and he sort of made the water bottle tour of Hollywood, you know, because he was interested in writing movies, but he'd never done it before. And having written, having run, won the Pulitzer, Pulitzer Prize for writing a superhero story, they thought, well, let's have him write a superhero story. Sure. Yeah. 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 So he wrote a draft. Swim. <laughs> right. Totally. Uh, so he wrote a draft of Spider-Man 2, and he basically threw out everything that was in the the go uh miller david kept drafts mm-hmm. um threw all of it out started from scratch page one rewrite and uh wrote a draft and this is the only draft of the film that is uh available it's the only one that's you know out in the internet ether somewhere ah i see, um, I see. so this is this is sort of like the the kept draft of this season however i won't be referencing it as much as the kept draft because it is 
very different from the film that we got. Now there are there are scenes, wholesale scenes and sequences in his draft that are in the final movie. Uh, but his draft mm. had a younger Doc Ock, like in his mid twenties. Doc Ock in this oh. in this draft uh, actually replaces John Jameson. Whoa, yeah. as the figure courting MJ's affections. Yes, okay. right. Okay, yeah. Um, so he is uh, he's a younger man, and he's a successful man. And the idea is that Mary Jane is dating him because he can't she can't get Peter, so she dates someone kind of like Peter. Ah, um, uh, okay. Which is okay. Otto Octavius yeah. Uh, yeah. in this version. So, um, young, hot Otto Octavius. Yeah, yeah. Young, <laughs> young, hunky Otto Octavius. Uh, <laughs> but he ends up in the, in the accident where he uh, gets the tentacles. There's also this side thing where after the tentacles are, are fused, um, they are actually actively killing him. Whoa, um, okay. And. Yeah. The only reason that he is able to deal is that the the chemical the the limbs actually um, use like endorphins to counteract the pain of them being attached to his body. Okay, and he's being so he's being addict he's getting addicted to the endorphins from these tentacles. The, whoa! Also, okay. they're killing him. Also, yes. Okay, the, and and the reason that they're killing him is that uh, they are uh, essentially like poisoning his spine like his spinal fluid or something um anyway it's it's affecting his brain it's killing him and uh the plot of the movie is that uh the reason that it's it's ruining him is because he's just a normal man but if he had the spine of say a superhero oh he would be able to survive so the plot of the movie (laughs) is that he wants to extract Spider-Man's spine no. and install it in his own back no, so uh. that he can keep the tentacles. Keep the tentacles, which he's addicted to. Which okay. he's addicted to, yes. Got it. Yep. Give me a spine, Spider-Man. Yep. Got it. That is wild. Yep. Um, this okay. also includes a storyline of, of Harry and the Daily Bugle putting uh, uh, coming together to put a $10 million price on Spider-Man's head. So cool. the whole okay. city uh, turn against him because they all, ah, they all want to pay money. Him. Yeah, right. sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, so that's how they go back to the city, you know, quote unquote, hating Spider-Man after. I don't dislike that. Yeah. Uh, after the yeah. great stuff in the first movie um, uh. of them all sort of coming back, coming together to save him. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. But then uh, Avi Arad basically read this script and rejected the love triangle angle with Doc Ock uh, and felt that Harry putting a price on Spider-Man's head was, quote, unsubtle. Unquote. <laughs> Man, if there's a note you don't want to get, it's Avi Arad telling you you're unsubtle. Boy, mm-hmm. howdy. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, uh, so those were the 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 drafts that we were working with. I think we're we're on our third draft at this point, where we have the Alfred <laughs> Alfred Go Miles Miller draft, uh, and then the- they left to go do Smallville, and then David Kep came in and did rewrites on their draft uh, mm-hmm. with with them. Um, right. You know, phone meetings or what have you while they're mm-hmm. up in uh, Vancouver, you know, <laughs> yeah. working on Smallville. Um, Making a Canada show. Yep. Yes. And uh, and then we have the 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 page one rewrite of um, Michael Shabon in uh, September of 2002. Mm-hmm. So at this point, we're getting dangerously close to production uh, yeah. because, you know, they they went and uh, 
they started shooting <laughs> they started shooting in Chicago. The Chicago Loop pre-shoot was in Crazy. November of 2002. The Shaban so draft was September 2002. Oh god. 2 months yeah, later so they're already doing pre-shoots for, you know, green screen projection and stuff like that. Right, for the big fights. Yeah. For the big oh, train sequences. They are out of time. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. at this point, uh you know, Raimi not being happy with any of the drafts, uh he took all of them, hired Alvin Sargent and uh who who had, you know, worked on rewriting uh the first Spider-Man. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was not the on-set writer of the first Spider-Man. David Kep was the on-set writer, but mm -hmm. Alvin Sargent wrote the draft prior to the, right prior to that. He basically yeah. wrote the the shooting draft that would then be tweaked on set by uh, David Kep. Got it. Got it. Um, the the David Kep sandwich, if you will. Um, <laughs> so uh, so they brought on Alvin Sargent to do it this time and uh, what they did was Raimi basically sifted through all of the previous drafts uh, the Go Miller draft the Go Miller Kep mm -hmm. draft and the Shabon draft uh, and they he, he basically like uh, cut and pasted together a movie from <laughs> their drafts and was a like Franken well, script. Okay. Yeah, a Franken script. Yeah. He was basically like, I like this from here and this from there. And he gave that to Alvin Sargent and was like, This is the movie we're making. Make it make sense. <laughs> okay. Also, we start shooting next month. <laughs> so so Alvin Sargent uh, comes on board, does his best to piece it all together. They go in with a shooting draft that um, you know, has those those elements that he really wanted to to hammer down. The the Spider-Man No More, mm -hmm. Amazing Spider-Man 50, uh, you know, Peter losing his part powers, inspired by Superman 2. Mm -hmm. And just the idea of Peter uh trying to struggle between his personal life and his life as Spider-Man. It's it's okay, I've accepted that with great power comes responsibility, but what what is the cost of that? Right. Right. Um and he's like that's what I want the movie to be about. Well, mm -hmm. that theme is was strong enough that they were able to slap together this Franken script that Alvin Sargent basically smooths out the edges of. Mhm. Mm and then Alvin Sargent was on every day rewriting the scene for the next day. Oh, yeah. So Through he, the whole movie. Was, they set him up in an area where we're shooting this next. Uh, rewrite it. And that's yep. how. Literally, Raimi would come to his trailer, to Alvin's trailer, mm -hmm. uh, during setup. Like, he would say, okay, this is the shot we're going to do. Get to work. I'll be back in, you know, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he would go to Alvin's trailer and he's like, okay, Alvin, what do you got for tomorrow? Okay. I like this, this change, this tweak, this. All right. I'm going back out to shoot some more. He'd go <laughs> shoot some more and come back. And it would just be like that for the whole movie. This entire movie was created completely by the seat of their pants. That's insane. Insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is, this is a high stakes, uh, high wire act that I would say, 99,000 times out of 100,000. Did I get that right? Yeah, it would not work. But yeah. in this case, a miracle happened, yep. um, which I guess, like you said, might just have been from the fact that they were so so keen on what theme they wanted to hit um, mm -hmm. that 
it gave the, them the bones a were focus. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a we had a way to focus ourselves, even if we're making this up as we go. There's the the central spine is there. The shape of the story we already know. It's just the details of like how literally people are going to speak that we don't know for sure yet. So we'll make that up as we go. Um, that's insane. Uh, I, yep. Uh, I I have heard it from you i in this like deep tissue way i have seen it alluded to in other formats and we're gonna like look at the fruits of it over months here and i still can't quite believe it uh it's uh, this movie has absolutely no right to be as good as it is yeah based on how it was made it it is it is insane and the fact that you know, people like to give Spider-Man 3 crap of just like, wow, they were not prepared. How could they have possibly gone into that movie not knowing what they were doing? Well, they did it in, they did it in the previous film and it became <laughs> the best superhero film ever made. So right. yeah. they thought they knew what they were. They, they were like, oh, well, maybe this is just our process. Yeah, this totally worked. Hey, look it at just, that. It was uh, just an accident. <laughs> it was an accident. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I am astonished, and I think I I think we will be in the weeks to come uh, when we break down how well things are working in this film. Um, and of course, you know, parts where we think there there could be things you know improved or where we see seams showing, it's still going to be within the frame of this is astonishing that this yeah. was accomplished in this approach because no way, no way, right? right. No, that's not. I know. It's it's insane. The the this the whole screenwriting process of this is just nuts. It's one of the craziest <laughs> things I've ever heard of. Um in a movie that works. Like yeah. you hear crazy screenwriting stuff all the time. Right, but, right. And then it's like, oh, and that's why that movie was bad. But Right. That's why that movie <laughs> didn't turn out very well. Um see Spider-Man three. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, no, it happened here and it worked. Somehow it worked. Uh it's crazy. Um, the only other, the only other super minor thing is that uh, originally this was actually going to be called the Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, title-wise, uh, okay. Yeah, title-wise. Yeah. Uh, uh. But around this time, marketing basically came out and said, "Like, look, marketing a film is easier right now. It's like in vogue. It's in style to do a less is more approach." to the marketing oh, um, okay. very simple marketing so mm-hmm. what they wanted to do was just do a two on the posters with spider-man imagery and oh. it's like oh i know what that is like it doesn't have to say spider-man i know it's spider-man and it's a two so it's spider-man two boom yeah that's right. the name yeah right but if it was amazing spider-man it would have to be a more complex uh complex thing mm-hmm. and uh with toby returning it you know, the Amazing Spider-Man title um, was going to be more of like, a, well, it's a new lead character. So let's yeah, kind of retitle this soft, a little bit. Soft reboot. But, soft oh, no, reboot. we have the whole team together. Let's, like, hammer that home. That's right. right. We paid all this money for Toby, uh, and we're so glad that he's able to be here. Let's really, like, lean into that. Like, right. that movie you loved last year, it's the next one. Boom. You know. Right. Um, Spider-Man 2. I like I like the title. I think it's it's kind of old-fashioned, but I dig it. Like yeah. 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 No, yeah. I mean it's it's fine. I, you know, it's a comic book movie and 
and comic books are numbered. So right. Yes. <laughs> why not? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, that being said, thematically, I do. I really like the idea of it being called the Amazing Spider-Man because it's mm. one thing to be Spider-Man, and it's another thing to sort of um, I don't know add an adjective to your name. Right. And, and I right. feel like the theme of the movie being his full acceptance of his role as Spider-Man. Um, I don't know. I like that. I also think it would have been cool to just call it Spider-Man no more. Yeah. Yeah. That would have yeah. been pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. not great if uh, they hadn't gotten to be back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That might draw a little too much attention to right. <laughs> that thing there. Right. Um, what a wild process. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a miracle it, of a movie. Miracle of a movie. Wow. Um, all right. That's, uh, I think that's all we got. It's a long, that's fair. It's a long, uh, long Wednesday. Uh, hope long you guys yeah. all enjoyed that. Hope it helped you get through your hump day. <laughs> and uh, that's that. Um, if you're looking for other Movies by Minute podcasts, go to moviesbyminutes.com. You can go check out uh, all of those over there. It's like there's, I think there's like 80 or 90 at this point. There's a lot. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. go look. Go check mm -hmm. those out. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with minute four and the first actual minute of the movie. Ah, can't wait. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.